You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. Most schools growing up, elementary, middle school, high school, have a gifted program. You take some standardized tests, and then they select out a couple students. They get whisked away into the gifted program. And a quick reading of this passage might tempt you to think that the church is like that too. But a stronger reading of the text, a stronger reading of the whole Bible, tells a really different story about gifting. It tells a really different story about what's important in the church. And I'm so glad in God's church, the gifted program is for everyone. And the greatest in the church is the one who serves. Look with me at this passage once again. Verse seven says this, it says, but grace, grace, this favor, love, forgiveness, empowering of God was given to each one of us, each one of us, not some of us, not a few of us, not the special ones, but everyone according to the measure of Christ's gift, given in different shapes and varieties and sizes of grace. Verse eight, Christ gave gifts to us. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds, it's another word for pastor in the New Testament, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. When the gospel comes to you, the the gospel about God saving sinners through Jesus, where we receive forgiveness by faith in Jesus, we are welcomed into God's family with gifts. We're like the son or daughter who was lost for a really long time and hadn't been home in decades. And Christ calls us into the house. And instead of you being guilt-ridden and broken forever, he hugs you, welcomes you to the table, and says there's gifts all around the tree and they're actually for you. They've been waiting for you as long as you've been running away. You are not just barely in the kingdom or barely in the house. But when you receive Christ, you're fully in the house. You belong as a son or daughter forever. And he wants you to unwrap the gifts. Paul emphasizes five gifted roles in the church and they're tasked with this mission of God to equip us. That every Christian is made for the work of ministry, including the building up of the church. And Paul names some words that we don't always hear or use. He names apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, which is a New Testament word for pastor, and teachers. And the meaning of apostles and prophets is pretty broad, both in the Bible and in our culture's context. The technical meaning of apostle, you could call this big A apostle, is a person who saw Jesus physically, sent by Jesus personally, and who may have written some of our New Testament. Apostle in that sense has long passed with the first generation after Jesus' death and resurrection. Likewise, the technical idea of a biblical prophet, someone who hears directly from God, then is preached and becomes scripture like Jeremiah or Isaiah or Micah or Malachi, has also passed. Paul mentions them here, though, because look at the context of Ephesians 2 and 3, what he's already said describing how the church is founded but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on what? 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, these scripture writers, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, that the church becomes God's temple. Verse three continues, the gospel to all nations was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So there's this technical sense of apostles and prophets, I'll call them the big A apostle, big A prophets, who wrote scripture and established the people of God. However, and this is an undertop part of the church, or at least in the church tradition we're a part of. However, the word apostles or apostolos just means sent one or messenger. And it's used all over the New Testament. Likewise, the word prophet is used elsewhere in the New Testament too. And we see God in the story of the New Testament is empowering both in the early church to work. I'll call these little a apostles, people sent as messengers of the gospel, empowered to do God's work. You could say what we're doing in starting a brand new church out of nothing is kind of an apostolic work. There wasn't a church. Now there, lo and behold, there is a church. Something new has happened. Also, little p prophets in the scriptures are people who tell the truth about God's word and apply it to situations. They are empowered to reveal and prepare us for obedience or warn us of disobedience. So in this sense, apostolic and prophetic ministries, they're continuing right along because it's the same God. He's still working and using his people. The spirit is not dead, but surely alive. It didn't pick Jesus out of the grave and then lose its power. It didn't run out of energy. It didn't run out of power. God is still using people to start new things and speak words powerfully into this world. The third role Paul mentions is an evangelist, someone who shares the gospel effectively and fruitfully. If you've ever been around someone with the gift of evangelism, you already know it, <laughs> all right? Because they meet someone and then they're sharing the gospel. You're like, what? How did that happen? Us, we got to like plan and strategize and learn 10 methods. And they've already shared the gospel twice during our session. That is how an evangelist was. I once met a friend who was so good at evangelism. We were in an airport and he's walking around leading people to Christ because he has an entire book bag full of the gospel in all these different languages. He's like, why would I waste being in Qatar? I got all day, baby. Oh, you, sp you speak Arabic? You speak Africans? Awesome. Here, you're, you're Chinese? Let's do it right here. And you know, some people reject him, but man, this guy could get after it. And people were kind of delighted. Wait a minute, you prepared and brought pamphlets in my language to talk to me in the airport over a Starbucks from the Western US? And they're like, yeah, I'll buy your drink. Let's talk right now. And it was amazing to be around them. Fourth and fifth, there's this pastor shepherd role in teacher. And they're closely related in the Greek of this passage. And this kind of hints, doesn't hint, it shows us this pastor elder, this shepherd of souls, this shepherd of our flock, which is kind of our modern pastor, who teaches the scriptures rightly and responsibly, teaching God's people all about God. And the shepherd language is important. Like, what is a pastor? Well, they just use the word literally shepherd, like shepherd over sheep shepherd, because the work of a pastor is to guide to lead, to teach, to protect a flock, to correct, to help things heal. If you've ever been over animals, like a flock of animals, you kind of know, like, 
It's how you help things thrive, and that's what a pastor does, thrive following Jesus. It's an important role because me as a pastor, I'm actually just an under-shepherd because there is a greater shepherd. God loves calling himself a shepherd. Read John 10. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd who never runs when the wolves come. Hebrews 13 talks about Jesus being the great shepherd of shepherds. 1 Peter 5 talks about him as a great shepherd and directly applies us to pastors as under shepherds. That our goal is God is doing this work in us as the great shepherd, but then using God's people, including pastors, to help guide and correct and move the flock towards green pastures, move it out of danger and take it to still waters. And I and the elders of citizens, here they are, just so if you're new or unfamiliar, this is Clay Ebersold. He's one of our elders. This is wife Sarah, Cora, and Henry right there. Another elder at our church is John Champion. John, could you throw a, hat, a hand up? I almost said throw a hat up. It's so notable. I, I just got to point it out. His wife, Talia, Arlo, and Milo. And man, we have an enormous responsibility. Enormous. Look what Hebrews 13 says. We don't take it lightly at all. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your, your souls. We keep watch in life like over our like garden in our yard or, or, or like our job and those are important things. But what would be more precious than a soul? What could be more precious? It would be less precious to guard Fort Knox. It would be less precious to be a pre the president. To get to watch over someone's soul, to think about how to lead things well, to think about how we build a, a community. And we watch over souls as those who will have to give an account. We have to give an account for God, to God, for our care, for how we did. And that's a heavy thing. Every Christian will face God one day, totally forgiven, but then will be evaluated on good and bad works for rewards. But it's saying explicitly, pastor leaders will have to give account not just for their own life, but how it affected others. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that'd be no advantage to you. There's a way God has set up a church and set up just like a shepherd and a flock, just like he is the great shepherd, to work together to become this gifted church that matures over time. That's where this passage heads. It's a gifted church. We're given presence by God, but we're also given a direction to grow up and mature together. And I believe John and Claire are doing a great job. I'm so thankful for the team God has raised up in these early years of citizens, but I'm pumped to be intentional about continuing to build the team out to reflect our community and trust God with that. And, here, and here's where, without more from the New Testament, you could go, cool, Justin, you just told me there wasn't a gifted program, but you just talked about all these special roles that maybe only some people are a part of. And the church too often has taken this view and made church a little bit like a football game. There's 22 players, kind of staff and pastors out on the field, and 20,000 Christians kind of chilling in the stands, standing back, maybe occasionally cheering, occasionally booing. 
But God said he gave us gifts, not some, but all, all sorts of gifts and in varying degrees. And this doctrine is a, when doctrine's a word for a teaching of the church, is called the priesthood of all believers. That the church isn't supposed to be a football game, but rather an army where everyone has a role, different positions, different skills, but you need everybody if you're going to the war for the greatest thing of all time, for the souls of men and women around the globe. Or you could think of citizens as a hospital, different roles, different jobs, but caring for the sick and suffering of this world as we were all once, and in some ways still are the sick and suffering of this world. Look what it says in 1 Peter 2.9. This is such an important doctrine that when it gets in your bones, it can never get out. But you are a chosen people. Does it say the pastors or the evangelists? Nope. It says everyone. You are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. The Old Testament, there were some who were priests and the rest were not priests. The Levites were priests, the rest were not priests. In Christ, in his church, you are a royal priest of God, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous or wonderful light. Church, if you believe in Christ, you are now a priest at God's temple. There is not a special place where special people get to meet God especially, but rather the temple doors, the curtain is ripped, the doors are open to all of us. You have a role to declare God's praises. Why are we emphasizing worship? There's a lot of reasons, but one reason is you were saved to worship. You were saved to worship him on Sunday. That's a narrow view, but also every day. Sunday's prep, practice, and encouragement to go rock it out the rest of the week. Look what Revelations 1.6 says. Christ has made us to be a kingdom, kind of that army language, and priest to serve God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He ends in worship just telling us about it. You are a priest of God. You have been built to praise and worship him. You have been made to serve in his kingdom. Regardless of what your role in this church is or role at your work is or role in your wider neighborhood or family system, whatever else, you actually don't serve any of those things ultimately. You serve God and you happen to be a lawyer or happen to code or happen to own your own business or happen to be a dietitian or happen to be a mother or a father or a friend or a sister or a brother. You happen to be all those things, but you ultimately serve God as a priest to praise him and do his will as he is king and you are servant. And that's good news. In a world that gives you no hope, that says, hey man, hope is how much money I can get. Hey man, hope is how much sex I can get. Hope, man, hope is how much power I can hoard. Where the people go, nah, man, I serve something greater. I'm not here to be worldly and hoard all these gifts and make them my gods, but use these gifts in God's way. And every sphere of my life is now filled and empowered that I am a priest of God. When I step into a room, I am loved, I am safe, and I'm here to do God's will first, regardless of who's over my head as boss. 
And it should be a blessing for everyone who's under us. In this way, you're an apostle. You've been sent by God everywhere you are right now. Do you believe you are no place by accident? That there's never a moment in your day you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You're in the right place because God is with you for the work. Look what John says, at John 20. Jesus tells his disciples. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. If you follow Jesus, you've been sent into the world. People love the phrase, I'm in the world, but not of the world. That's half true. Jesus was in the world, not of the world, and sent to save the world. Now, you can't save the world, but you can love them and tell them about a guy who can save them. You are called and sent with a purpose where you are right now. That's why when we make big decisions, we submit to God and say, where's next, Lord? What do we do? Do I do this big financial decision? Do I do this person? Do I, do I marry this person? What do I do? We are all prophets. We're all evangelists. We're all teachers speaking the truth in love, just as this passage details. We all care for one another. That's shepherding. It's a matter of gifting and degree and role. There's a difference for sure. And you don't have every gift. I don't have every gift. But God has gifted you to service. He has gifted you to be able to worship. When we're working on worship, I'm helping you unwrap the gift that you are meant to do this. It's not like some extra thing we want to do. It's something you were made to do. It's something that might even heal our souls. God gifts his people as wide as the needs of his mission are. Ephesians 4 is actually just one list of the gifts in the Bible. And there's actually several lists of gifts in the Bible. And they're not even exhaustive lists but they're actually suggestive lists of the many ways Christ has gifted us. And we're gonna look at them because I want it to kind of overwhelm you to see how big and how wide and how diverse the gifts are that Christ made this diversity among us for our good and his glory. Check it out, Romans 12. Romans 12 talks about the gift of prophecy, the gift of serving, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation or encouragement with a step to obey. The gift of giving talks about some people are empowered to give in a way that they just love it. They're just, they're people who just love giving stuff away. I have a friend like this. He's just laughing because he's just like, yeah, dude, I gave my car away. It's not a big deal. I'm like, wow, that takes a lot of faith for someone. Not a lot for him. He's just writing checks and he's not even the richest guy. He just has a gift to where he just sees myself as the Lord's and we're just going to move from that. Gifts of leadership, gifts of mercy. Check out uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Wow, we got even more. We got words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, mentioned twice, gifts of miracle, mentioned twice, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, distinguishing between what's going on in a situation or what's motivating people, gifts of tongues, gifts of the interpretation of tongues, gifts of apostle, prophet, teacher, helps, administration. That's a long list. Some of those things venture into the truly miraculous gifts. And what we see Jesus's life is full of the miraculous He's showing, I'm the king of this world and my kingdom is coming. The signs are meant to point us to the Savior. But it doesn't mean the gifts have ended. Should we expect them at the same regularity as Jesus himself throwing and casting out the darkness? Probably not. It was making a point of heaven is truly breaking in and the king is here. 
But man, this letter of Corinthians was written decades after the rising of Christ to a church that was already formed, forming, growing, being corrected. God's spirit hasn't changed. God can still move in all these ways and more. Look at this next list of gifts. This is from 1 Peter 4. It says, there's one who speaks, there's another who renders service. When you look over the whole body, the whole Bible, look at these gifts. These are other ones noted in scripture. Celibacy or a calling to singleness, Corinthians. Fellowship in a way that brings people together. Hospitality in a way that invites guests into the faith. Intercession, that's powerful prayer on behalf of another. Marriage is called a gift. Witnessing powerfully over, there's examples of people just seeing mass conversion. Craftsmanship for the temple when they're, or the tabernacle, when they're building it, it says they're empowered with gifts to build the temple. Interpretation of dreams. You see Joseph and Daniel and Genesis and Book of Daniel. Composing spiritual music, poetry and prose. Look at the Psalms and Luke's gospel. These people, do you think Mary just happened to be a songstress? All of a sudden, she's just dropping huge songs. And it's amazing to see that God truly does gift his people in a wide variety of ways. Of ways. It overwhelms you. Because people have two wrong views here, that my gifts are to make me great. Nope, the gift is always to give glory to God and to serve. Or I have no gifts and I have nothing to offer. Both views are wrong. The gifts are about God and you are gifted if you belong to God. Maybe you don't have the biggest gift. Maybe on that list you have few. That's okay. It's precious to God to how you use it. Because remember, the gifts aren't given because you're good. Just like salvation, it's a gift. So the gifts you have, if you have a lot of them, hold them humbly because they're gifts. If you have a few, use them preciously and say, God, thank you for letting me steward what you've given me. And here's what I want you all to do. This is the homework for today. I don't want you to go do a spiritual gifts test. You don't need a, you don't need a worksheet to figure this one out. We're good. Instead, I want you to look your friends in the eyeball here at Citizens this week and ask, what do you think my spiritual gifts are? Share with me. Encourage me. Husbands, friends, people in relationship, I want you to look at each other, lead this combo, and encourage the other person's socks off of how you see God at work in them. Hopefully they do the same back. That's another conversation. Some of these gifts are things you might have been good at before Christ. And now he's grown those gifts to serve him, not myself. I was good at leading people and public speaking before I knew Christ, but God has redeemed them and made them instead about Jesus, God, instead about Justin's glory, about God's glory. Likewise, my wife Her ability to teach sound doctrine and hospitality are genuinely new gifts under Christ. However, she was always good at administration. It's always been a strength of hers, but it's been redeemed and strengthened under Christ. God works both ways. But gifts don't matter unless they're used properly. They're not for our glory, but service to Jesus and his church who told us this in Luke 22. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. It's okay to put yourself last and do humble things. You know, heaven, when we get to the point of like people on like the thrones around God, 
I think people envision that as like some mega preachers or awesome missionaries. They might be the ones who are going to be in these honored positions before God. But I have a feeling it's going to be a lot of praying janitors. I think it's going to be a lot of praying moms. I think it's going to be a lot of praying people serving the least of these. A lot of praying people doing what the world considers humble work, but they did it to the glory of God every step of their life. You are important to God, and you serve at the throne of God now and for eternity to come. And what's this look like? Well, a gift without love can be a hammer, not a hug. Amen? Or a groan, if you... Paul speaks in the context of gifts, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The church gets in trouble when she values gifting over character. Gifting over character always ends in disaster. It's this decade and it's every decade in the church for 2,000 years. We love gifting, but character is slow to see and it forms and grows and it makes the gifts worth exercising. And when we look at citizens, when we look at our church, that's why authority comes with qualifications, a process. I care about character. Your community group leaders aren't necessarily the most articulate or gifted, but instead they have high character. Many of them are very gifted. But the thing I care about most is seeing their love flourish. Deacons, elders, any leadership is character-based because that's what the gifts are made to build up. Look at verse 12 again. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. The gifts are to equip one another for ministry, both in the church and out in all of life. But remember, formal church, like formal citizens things, even if you're like the most involved member, that's like max five hours a week. Even if you're like super involved, and so I want you to flex your gifts at citizens, but I also want you to flex your gifts the other 163 hours a week. When I'm up here on, on, on Sunday, I want to equip you and I give others the opportunity to equip you at CG and discipleship and things like that to equip you to live the rest of your life in your gifts, full of the spirit, for the glory of God, full of love. You spend about 56 hours a week sleeping. You spend 40 to 50 hours a week at work and about 60 to 70 hours doing something else other than work. So if God doesn't care about how you do your work, then God doesn't care about a third to half of your life. God wants you to use these gifts at work too, finding your role, finding your niche in this wider world to say, I'm consistently using my gifts at home and at work, in my wider community, among my friends, and my church. Too often we put these gifts in a straitjacket to say it has to happen at formal church when the truth is most of your life will not be lived in this basement. Hopefully not. 
God wants you to flex with your gifts and love in every part of your life. And when we do this well, God says we'll mature. That's how a gifted church becomes a mature church. Look at verse 30, verse 13. Until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a mouthful. But that word attaining is used for the end of a long journey. And God wants your long journey following him, following together, it's a big we passage, that we would end up mature manhood. A better idea might be fully grown. That we would end up with a unity of faith, that our doctrine would align, that our creed, what we believe would align. That we'd have a knowledge of the Son of God, not just in our head, but in our heart, that we'd experience a relationship with God. And that the full measure of the stature of Christ would happen, which is a fancy way of saying that Christ's character would grow in us. It's a pattern for maturity as a weeness, that our giftedness is meant to drive one another to maturity, both in character and in creed. To be fully grown, God's plan is to use one another. It's a we. It's not just a Justin or not just an elder or not just a CG leader. Those are all helpful ways but the church needs you and you actually need the church to follow God's plan for your life. That he's knitting us together this very way. Look what it says about how our creed matters, what we believe matters. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or craftiness and deceitful schemes. That word tossed by the waves is thinking of like at the shoreline, the surf where it's rough. My kids, when they're a little bit smaller, would get knocked over by the smallest wave. Like an eight-inch wave, they're going down. They've gotten tougher. Now it's the 18-inch wave that takes them out. We don't want to stay kids. We don't want to get pushed around by every Rachel Hollis or Rob Bell that comes around with bad teaching that's deceitful. We want to grow up to be mature in doctrine, mature in theology, mature in our belief. And we must realize and maybe even have the humility that perhaps we really, really, really need community group. Like we really need to get into Ephesians. That we really need Sunday that have the humility that maybe like, I don't know everything. That like, there's more to know. There's more to grow together. I'm still learning. And we're called to be lifelong learners after Christ. Many of us think we are much further along in doctrine and theology than we are. I don't get up on Sunday because I have to. I get up on Sunday to preach because I want to. I don't seek to impress you, but instead form you into the character and creed of Jesus. That's why we do this thing called expository teaching. I'm exposing the Bible to you in order for God's word, not Justin's opinions, to form you over time. That's the long strategy of discipleship of every week of Sunday and community groups and other discipleship practices. They're meant to say it's okay to not know everything because we're growing up together. And one day the waves won't scare us. But we have to do that process to be fully grown together. Because great preaching looks a lot like great Christian friendship in a healthy church. Look what Ephesians 4.15 says. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
for whom the whole body joined together, held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. We need people to tell us when our shirt is on backwards. I have to tell T-Bone occasionally, you look great, man, but twist the arms, man. Coming hard at pre-K, buddy. You're doing great. We need friends that will kindly, truthfully, gracefully, and often at our most foolish, even when we realize we're not being a fool. That's when you're most foolish is when you don't realize you're being a fool. To have friends and humble people, we must be humble people to seek out these friendships and be the sort of people who want to tell the truth lovingly and receive it lovingly. What if you went around giving permission to people in your life saying, hey, would you please speak the truth and love to me regularly? Like proactively say, you have a highway to my heart. There's no toll booth. I'm not going to make you pay. I'm not going to then shoot back at you. You just have a highway to my heart. If you want to live the gospel, that you're that secure in God's love, that you can be wide open, regardless of what's happened in the past, but throw open the doors of your life, you're going to grow like crazy. It's going to be wild. Christian, you're called to build those kind of relationships. Don't sit back and wait for someone to build them with you how, how, or build them for you. How self-centered. Everyone's supposed to come to me and build great relationships with me. No, you get great friends by being a great friend. If people don't reciprocate over a long time, you don't have to be mad at them. You just kind of refocus your energy. But you can build those relationships. And deep friendship is the same formula as spiritual growth. Look at this. Truth, remember, Jesus comes full of truth and grace. Truth plus grace. Over time, it's not quick. Remember, we're like kids growing up or like fruit ripening or fields growing. Over time, in vulnerable, committed community equals growth. If you apply the truth of the Bible and the grace of the Bible, over time, in a committed community, with people, you will grow. And vulnerability is just a fancy word for honesty and relationship, that you can sit with someone and share who you really are, because deep down you want to anyways. I know it's scary. It's a lot. We have a very unvulnerable world, or a fake vulnerable, or a faux vulnerable world through a filter of Instagram or something. But you know that's the magic that makes you love your mama, that she knows the real you. She's seen you naked your whole life until a certain age. That's why you love people, your brother, your sister, your parents. Like there's a vulnerability of a good marriage, of a great friendship that you get to these vulnerable places and it grows you so much and these precious and these relationships become so dear. And I'm here to tell you, our culture says you can only have that with like one person. Maybe I'm saying, dude, you could have that with like 10 or 12 or 20 people. Have some level of vulnerability growing and growing and growing and growing where it's not as big a deal anymore and you're growing all the time. I know that's a wild vision of community. I know that's totally different from how you maybe you grew up or other churches you've been a part of. But man, I'm here to say God wants to do that because he's building a body together. And it breaks my heart when people aren't growing. And usually people don't grow because they're missing an element. They're not part of a committed community. They really, honestly, it, it's not working. Maybe the missing element's truth. They, they, they have no room for truth. They don't want to be wrong. Missing elements grace, that they refuse to dwell on God's grace because it sounds too good to be true. 
that God's love is actually based on what his son Jesus has done on the cross, not based on what you have done or will do or ever will do. That the gospel is the church, the church is the gospel working out as a community. Look at verse 16 and pay attention to this, men, this metaphor being used right here. It says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That body it's talking about is the church. We are the body of Christ. We are meant to go together. When we all work properly in our roles, the whole body grows and we know our love is increasing. We'll know our love's increasing when we express obedience to God. We'll know our love is increasing for God when we worship God. We'll love one another is increasing when our friendships increase. That word joined right there is a special word that they talked about in putting buildings together when they put two stones together and had to smooth them out so they fit just so to make it level. What a picture of friendship, that you would need friends to smooth the stones of your personality out, kind of knock the rough edges off, so you actually fit together to build something greater than yourselves, that a friendship would make us greater together, because a church is its friendships. It is its communities and small pieces growing and growing together, and the possibilities are endless. We'll know our love is increasing as our neighbors, our neighborhood, our city, our world. We express in our priorities to make life not about ourselves, but about others. And I love the metaphor of the body. God has made the body beautiful, absolutely beautiful. We're made in the image of God. And if you've ever seen an Olympian really run, like really watch how they run, like the sprinter, Allison Felix, it's just a wonder to watch her run that every part of her body is perfectly synchronized from her feet to her ankles to her knees, her legs, her core stable and strong, her shoulders down and back, her arms pumping, her face focused as she flies down the track. And that's what God is saying here, that when we work together, when we bring our gifts to the table, no matter what they are, we start to run, we start to grow we start to actually chase down the mission of God together. We find our place to be like Allison Felix, taking the last turn of the run. And the whole watching world starts to go, whoa, what is that? It's beautiful, it's fast, and it's crushing wherever it's going. That's God's vision for you, that a gifted church would become a mature church by working together. The church needs you, fam. And fam, you need the church.